study the book of the, well, the letter of the Apostle Paul to Philemon. The epistle of Philemon is a document that talks about forgiveness and the restoration of relationships in a biblical way. In my personal devotions, I was looking for sections in the Bible that talk about forgiveness. Much stuff has happened during this year, and some of us may have expressed ourselves sometimes in reckless ways without considering the possibility that we have insulted someone. Some other people could have insulted us on this season. These expressions could have been verbal, on social media, on text, or so many different ways. And I think this year has definitely brought a challenge to our kindness and to our gentleness. People have various opinions about our approaches to COVID, the use of masks, restrictions, the social unrest, the different social movements, the election, and so on. In my country, Mexico, opinions around our new president have put friends and family members against each other, even among Christians. So because of all that and more, I felt the need to read about forgiveness. And the epistle of Philemon just grabbed my attention, and I just felt in love with it. Pastor Sean told me some weeks ago, the days I was going to preach, and for me it was clear, I was going to preach about Philemon, I was loving it, and then I realized on the dates, and I was like, wow, I'm going to preach about forgiveness and re restoring relationships after the U.S. election. <laughs> the non-citizen, the one that will not vote, will be preaching about forgiveness after a really tense electoral process. So I do believe God has a sense of humor. But more than that, God is sovereign. And he rules not just every aspect of the universe, but even the preaching schedule of our church. For some people, and getting into the information of Philemon, for some people, the letter of Philemon is really dear because of its intimate tone and the model of friendship and forgiveness. But some others don't consider the book of Philemon that important. They, some of them think that it's one of the least important books in the New Testament. And some people have even wondered how it made it to the canon. But as I was studying for this sermon, I found out that the book of Philemon is not often preached, and it's rarely taught on Bible studies. Now, before we get into the content, it's important to give a little bit of a context of what's happening here and who are our main characters and a little bit of information on the book of Philemon. I don't know if you guys have studied it, but a lot of people haven't. So we know who the Apostle Paul is. He's going to be one of our characters. Most scholars believe that the book of Philemon, it was basically like a private note sent to the church of Colossae along with the book of Colossians. Paul wrote during his imprisonment in Rome, sending both epistles with Titicus, who was accompanied by Onesimus. And we know this because of the book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. 
Now, Philemon was probably a wealthy slave owner who was converted during Paul's ministry in the third missionary journey, and he established a congregation in his home in Colossae. Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. At some point after Paul's arrest, and while he was awaiting for trial in Rome, living in a rented house guarded by Roman soldiers, there was a conflict in between Philemon and Onesimus, serious enough that they were not able to work through it. The exact nature of the conflict between Onesimus and Philemon is unclear. There are a number of theories about the conflict between these two. What we know is that the reality is that Paul is writing to someone that already knows what was going on, so a lot of description of the conflict is not needed. And Paul is not in the need to explain a lot of things either to the church. Some scholars think, and I agree with them, that it's possible that Onesimus also offended the church, or at least that the church knew what was going on among this. So Paul is just writing these two Philemon, but also addressing the church of a thing that they already know what it is. I also believe that the best way to understand this conflict is to consider the most traditional interpretation which explains that the conflict between Onesimus and Philemon was because Onesimus fled Philemon's house when he was a slave. So he was a runaway slave. And we don't know with certainty if he stole something or what was the wrongdoing that Onesimus did to Philemon, but there's some implications of a wrongdoing in verse 18, as we will read. But by God's sovereignty, Onesimus ended up with the Apostle Paul in Rome. So as we're studying this epistle in the scriptures, I want to encourage you to think about this season, this crazy year. When are the moments, what are the areas, who are the people you need to forgive? Who are the people you need to ask for forgiveness? We normally talk in the church about how God forgave our sins in the cross and how he's actively forgiving us, but also we need to think on how we can learn today and more than learn how we can be compelled and how can we apply forgiveness to others. As we study this book, we will find four dimensions for refreshing hearts through forgiveness. The first one will be refreshing hearts by diligent love, verses 4 to 7. The second one will be refreshing hearts for the sake of Christ, verses 8 to 12. The third one will be refreshing hearts through biblical forgiveness, verses 13 to 16. And the fourth one will be refreshing hearts by imitating Christ, verses 17 to 20. So please grab your Bibles or your devices and let's go to the book of Philemon. As I said, it's not super well known, so Philemon is before Hebrews, so you can find it. And let's just read, and the, and the epistle opens with a greeting. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, 
and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your owning me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously giving to, given to you. Epaphras, my fellow, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. And Father, we come before you asking that you will help us to understand what is biblical forgiveness, that we will understand what is refreshing hearts. And Father, we pray this, asking that you will help us to understand that you will change our hearts and we will be active in our pursuit of forgiving others in the way you forgive us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in this first section of the letter, we have Paul greeting people that he knows. Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and he writes to Philemon, to Aphius, who, who according to tradition was Philemon's wife, to Archippus, who according to tradition was Philemon's son. But interestingly, interestingly enough, Paul is writing this personal letter also to the church. 
This is why it's possible that the church was wronged by Onesimus, or that at least the church knew what was happening. Paul is writing these letters so that Philemon receives Paul's message, but the church as well. So verses 1 to 3, we will see Paul using a common greeting when he says grace to you and peace. Paul here is going to talk in this letter about the forgiveness and the restoration of family relationships. Our first point, refreshing hearts by diligent love, verses 4 to 7, and we will see that in this section, we're seeing that Philemon has a right attitude towards the saints. He was well known for his love towards other believers, and he was well known for his diligence and kindness at refreshing other hearts. In verse 4, we can see that Paul says that he remembers him in his prayers. And we can see a nice principle here and an example to pray for others and to let others know that we're praying for them. Paul here is actively praying for them, but also he's making known to them that he's praying so that they can count with Paul's prayers. Now, verse 5 suggests that Philemon's faith in Jesus and his love for the saints was really intimate, interwined. So it's not that Philemon's faith was in the saints, but in Christ. And his love was for the saints. It is likely that Paul is commending Philemon's deep faith in Christ to result in love that the faith produces in him, to love the brothers and the sisters in Christ. True faith in Christ must find his expression of love to the body of Christ, his church. So verse 6, then, we read that it says, the sharing of your faith. The Greek text says the fellowship of your faith. Paul seems to be inviting Philemon to become a partner with him. In other prison letters, when Paul is using the term koinonia, fellowship, is to imply a partnership in the gospel. Paul is about to show Philemon how his private action of forgiving someone will be deeply effective in the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, Philemon, what I'm about to request of you will show the deep fellowship of your faith. Your faith is about to become tangible and you will learn what is good for the sake of Christ. And dear brothers and sisters, we can draw application straight from this passage. I believe that the letter of Philemon is not just dear because it's super personal, but it's also because it's tremendously applicable to our Christian walk even this afternoon. Worthy to notice that there's three important elements in this verse. First one, that the faith that Philemon has is a faith that he shares with Onesimus and with Paul. So we share that faith with them. Second, that the knowledge of every good thing so is that our faith has to demonstrate an understanding of what is appropriate for God's sake, for Jesus' sake. Third, is that the faith results in a display of the faith for Christ. The result of our faith has to do with the cause of Jesus Christ. 
Our faith isn't just about us. It's about Christ. That's the nature of our faith. And it's faith in action. We have been studying this in the book of James. We've heard about this. The action of the faith is for the sake of the gospel. It's for the cause of Jesus Christ. So Paul is expressing something subtle here. Paul is preparing and aiming his cannons at Philemon's heart. Paul is about to shoot, to ask Philemon to live up his reputation of refreshing hearts in the way he handles the conflict with Onesimus. In a broken relationship, there's no fellowship. So Paul is saying, this faith that you have needs to show the fellowship that it's behind the gospel and has to restore relationships, has to be full of forgiveness. In that way, your faith may be completed and the cause of Christ will be exalted. I believe that the best way to read and to understand Paul's intention here is in Colossians 3.13. And as we heard, these letters were sent together and they might be they probably were read at the same time. So Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has, for, has forgiven you, so you must forgive. In the same way Christ is forgiving you, gave salvation, you ought to forgive. So in verse 7, Paul is going to talk about Philemon being well known among believers or being this refresher of hearts. Now the word heart that we have in our translations, it's heart. And we will find this word three times in the epistle of Philemon. And we will find this word only eight times more in the New Testament. So we can see that this word is important for the book of Philemon. We say that deep emotion comes from the heart. Disappointment or loss of hope happens in the heart. But the word translated as heart here would be better translated as bowel or gut. For the ancient world, these strong and powerful emotions happen in the gut, in the stomach. Our contemporary translations need to make a little bit of interpretation here for us. But if you have ever experienced a loss or a moment of fear or you have asked someone out or those of you who are married in the moment you propose to your wife, those emotions, those strong emotions, we feel them in their stomachs. So our, our Bible translations uses the word heart because we can understand that better. It'll be a little bit weird to say I love you with all my gut. Now, Paul is making the point here that Philemon is well known among other believers as one who refreshes the hearts of the saints. Paul is expressing the joy that the work that Philemon has done for other believers comforts his own heart. Paul is preparing the path to present to Philemon the core of his, of his request. Paul is pointing out the fame that Philemon has among other believers so he will make now his request for him. Our second point, refreshing hearts, 
for the sake of Christ, verses 8 to 12. As Paul's argumentations goes on, he's going to point out that as an apostle, he has the right and the authority to command Philemon what to do. Imagine now Paul sending a letter to Philemon, saying like, hey, Philemon, remember your runaway slave Onesimus? Look for him no more. He's here with me, serving me in Rome. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. No, that is not what, what Paul is saying. That's not what he's doing. But he's giving Philemon the time and the opportunity to process and to make the right decision. Paul is laying out the Christian way to approach authority. Paul is saying, Philemon, I can demand from you a certain response right now because I have the authority. But I'm going to be kind and gentle and I will display my authority to you in a different way. And I love how, I love how Grauman puts it. He says, in the world, the more authority you gain, the more people you can tell what to do. But if you follow the example of the Lord Jesus, the more authority you gain, the more feet you wash. Paul here is simply following Jesus' example. He's using his authority not as a chance to be bossy and demanding, but selfless service to the kingdom's gain. Verse 9 is really beautiful and it's an, an amazing example for us because Paul is leading and helping Philemon so Philemon's forgiveness can come out voluntarily. So Paul can, he can be demanding this, but he's helping Philemon to come to understand the principle of biblical forgiveness. Paul goes from his authority in verse 8 to his weakness in verse 9 as an old man who is in prison. And Paul is going to do this to help Philemon to get into a different stage, a higher stage of his Christian walk. Christian forgiveness is motivated by love. That's why Paul is saying, what I required you for love's sake. Other translation says, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, so far, Paul hasn't mentioned Onesimus. Try to imagine the situation. Tychicus is reading the letter, and we know this because of Colossians. Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave, is there in the very place that he fled away from. And as the letter is being read, and now Paul is ready to go ahead and mention the name Onesimus. Look at verse 10. It's such a tender and beautiful verse. The tone that Paul is setting here is of a deep affection. He's appealing to his, for his son Onesimus. We are familiarized that in the Pauline's literature, Paul will refer to other men as his children. But here, the, the idea is that he procreated him while in prison. It says, whose father I became. This word became, in the original, give us the idea of the male participation in procreation. He's becoming, or he became his father in the most deeply 
and intimate way he can. Now, verse 11 is going to use a play of, on, on words in a really smart way. Interestingly enough, the name Onesimus means useful. And Paul is saying, even though Onesimus was a slave, and probably he was useful, he was a useful slave in the labors while, while walk, working with you, Philemon, Paul is saying, Onesimus, he was more like a no-Nesimus. He was not useful. Paul is putting things in a spiritual and eternal perspective. Philemon, you thought you lost a useless slave, but no. You gain a brother. You gain a brother that is useful for the ministry. It's now your brother. Remember that faith that you share? Remember that faith that you have fellowship in? That's the same faith Onesimus has now. He is now useful for us and for Christ. Verse 12, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But look the beautiful expression. I am sending you my very heart. Hear what Paul is saying. Hear Philemon, I'm sending you the source of the deepest emotions. The seat of my emotions, my dearest Onesimus. I am sending you my very heart. Philemon, you are famous of refreshing hearts. This is not just Onesimus, your runaway slave. This is my heart, is Paul saying. And church, when was the last time we thought about a brother or a sister in this way? As our heart. Imagine you receive a package from someone that you deeply love and respect, and he tells you, I'm sending you my heart. Are you following this amazing tone that Paul is setting here? How, in the way he's talking about forgiveness and the restoration of relationships? I don't know what has happened in your life during this crazy 2020. Among you, among other fellow believers. But this letter is screaming to us the importance of the restoration of relationships and to forgive in the same way that Christ forgave us. Brothers, sisters, refresh someone's heart. Our third point, refreshing hearts through biblical forgiveness. Verses 13 to 16. Paul again says, I could keep him. I can make several demands here. But I want you to do this on your own accord and not because of compulsion. Paul goes again to the idea of the eternal perspective. Philemon, you thought that Onesimus fled away from you, but now that things are unfolding and you can see the perspective, the eternal perspective, you can realize that you have a brother. You have him back forever, but not as a bond servant, but as a brother. 
Look at this. We're getting close to the summit of the letter. Paul wants Philemon's forgiveness to be voluntarily. Why is Paul doing this? Because this is exactly the way how God forgives. We have a God that rejoices in forgiveness. And that's the only way he forgives. You might not know this. I don't want to be controversial here. But I grew up in a church that taught really strongly about free will in salvation. And one of the ways I became so convinced and such an advocate for the doctrine of election, this I learned from a brother, his name is Josiah, who said this, or used to say this. God sought us out, chose us, loved us, courted us in such a kind, gentle, and patient way that we even can think that we chose him. That we came to believe in him because we wanted to. But the truth is that he changed our hearts in such a way that even when some, some of us can think that we chose him or that we loved him first, when we know he chose us before the foundation of the world, and we love him because he loved us first. And Paul is following that exact example of how God loves, how God restores, how God redeems, how God forgives. Paul is encouraging and helping Philemon to display godly Christian forgiveness. The one who gets offended seeks after the offender to forgive him. That's what God did with us, didn't he? Our worldly understanding of forgiveness, if you do something wrong to me, I won't hurt you back. That's how we understand forgiveness. We think that I have to wait for the offender to come to ask for forgiveness, and me, as a good Christian, have to forgive him. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying, you seek him out to forgive him. The Bible teaches that if I sin against someone, I have to go and ask for forgiveness. But if someone offends me, if someone sins against me, I have to run and seek that brother or sister and offer my absolute and complete forgiveness. Either way, I have to initiate the restoration of the relationship and the forgiveness. If I'm the offender, if I'm the offender, it starts with me. That's what the Bible teaches. If God hadn't done that, to go and find us and offer his forgiveness, we would not be here. We hated him. We broke his law. We broke the relationship with him. And he was the one who saw us. And he was the one who restored the broken relationship. Not us, but him. Our fourth point. Refreshing hearts by imitating Christ. Verses 17 to 20. In verse 17, we read, receive him 
as you would receive me. Paul already said to Philemon, this is my heart. So in the same way you would receive me, receive him. The main example of this is Christ himself. The way we are received into God's family as brothers and sisters, not just in Christ, but of Christ, we have entrance into the heavenly places because of Jesus' righteousness. It's because of him, not because of us. It's because of his forgiveness, not because of our request to be forgiven. How would Philemon will receive Paul? What kind of party will he throw? Well, that is how we should receive the offender. Thinking on which way we can bless the offender. Receive Philemon with biblical forgiveness is what Paul is saying to Philemon here. Christian forgiveness showers with blessings and makes one feel accepted and welcome. I know that the prodigal son, the, the parable, talks about both the brothers and is especially talking to the older brother. But something that we can see in this parable is how the father forgives. He runs after his rebellious son. He embraces him. He makes him feel welcome and loved. He doesn't even let the son finish his repentant speech. The son hasn't even finished here. And the father is already embracing him and loving him and for, forgiving him. Receive him, says Paul, like you will receive me if you consider me your partner in the gospel. If we have fellowship, receive him. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, verses 18 and 19, as I told you guys, there's several debate among scholars about Onesimus, what he did. We don't know if he stole something or not. But the importance here is what Paul is saying about his willingness to pay for whatever Onesimus wronged Philemon with. Paul is going to put, again, some stuff in perspective here. Paul is saying, whatever he owes you, I will pay. But if we put this in perspective, Philemon, you owe me way too much. You owe yourself to the preaching of the gospel. So those 20 bucks that Onesimus owes you, deduct that from the millions you owe me, and we can call it even. The point here is how Philemon's forgiveness, it's not about the money, it's not about the offense, but it's about refreshing the heart of Paul's heart. The forgiveness is about refresh the heart. Not about the material things, but refreshing the heart. Now, verse 20 is probably what I believe the summit of the letter. Finally, Paul's request is clear here. Philemon is just listening all 
this letter that we read it is not that long, probably for Philemon was like an eternal letter to hear about, but now Paul is going to be clear here. He has talked about Philemon's refreshing saints' hearts. Paul is telling him who is his very heart. And now he's telling Philemon, refresh my heart. Refresh Onesimus. Refresh this old man's heart. Refresh the heart of your offender. Restore the relationship. Not just saying nice words. Not just saying, yeah, it's okay. That's the benefit that Paul is asking Philemon to give him. A true, complete, and absolute forgiveness from whatever wrong Onesimus did. That's the same request that this scripture is making to us today. Now, that's the kind of way that we can refresh someone else's heart. And not just of our fellow brothers and sisters, but if we are after this kind of forgiveness, we are refreshing the heart of Christianity. We are bringing to the higher standard our faith and showing the kind of love and forgiveness that God offers. Let me ask you, where did we learn that we have to make it difficult for the offender? For the one who sinned against you? See how arrogant it is? When we say, yes, I want to forgive this person, but he needs to know how deeply he hurt me. He needs to know and feel and understand how hard this was for me. If I forgive this person too fast, you don't know him. He will do it again. He needs to learn his lesson. Who told us we are the Holy Spirit to change someone's heart? Who told us that our punishing techniques will transform someone's heart. We read in the letter of Colossians, we have to learn to forgive in the way Christ forgives. That's the way I ought to forgive others. Brothers, sisters, we know how God offered his forgiveness to us. And you know what? He knew that after forgiving us, we will sin against him again. He knew that we will come sad with our heads hanging and that later we will offend him again. Think about this. Does knowing this changes the way you are willing to forgive others? Forgiving in the way we learn in that cross? Let me push this even more. When someone receives salvation, the attitude that God asks for those who have been forgiven is of joy, 
of happiness. God has destroyed the shame. The attitude of the spiritual newborn is not of shame in the corners beating himself, but of joy, of happiness. Because God is forgiving his sins and is giving him new life. That is biblical forgiveness. This is the kind of forgiveness that makes the offender rejoice in the forgiveness he's receiving. He's free of guilt, of shame. Don't ever say, I've done enough. This person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Grumman puts it in a formidable way. When your body is at the cross and every single part of you has been crushed and still in that moment you're crying, Father, forgive them. Only in that moment you can say you have done enough. Until the moment you can say you have done enough is when you are crying for forgiveness to those who are crushing you. Until that moment, you can say, I've done enough for this relationship. I've done enough to forgive. If you were here when Pastor Sean preached on James 3, verse 1, you know that I cannot be preaching this lightly. The weight and the heaviness of my own words are upon me. But I'm not saying this in my own strength. As Pastor Sean preached that day, those who are teaching and preaching will be responsible of their words. But I know that the only way I can refresh a heart is in the way it's written here. It's in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. It is in Christ alone that we can be instruments of refreshing someone's heart. But we need to start. We need to start doing it. I know, says Paul in verse 21, Philemon, you will do far more of what I am asking you. And that is calling us to. It's calling us to a higher standard of forgiveness. It's to forgive in the same way that Jesus forgave us in that cross. You know this kind of forgiveness because you were forgiven with these same, in this same way. Paul ends this letter with a final instruction of having a room ready for him, expressing his desire to, to come to see them. And he finishes with final greetings in verse 23, and 25, to 23 to 25 and with some personal indications. Now, 2020 is coming to an end, and probably a lot of you are like, whew. And it has been deeply, like a deeply challenging year, isn't it? And probably you have said some things. And probably you have taken some wrong attitudes. Well, go and ask for forgiveness. But probably someone has offended you during this year. Probably someone has offended you during your whole life. Or someone has been offending you for a good period of time. Well, I encourage you to pray and ask God for this kind of forgiveness. 
so that you can refresh the saints' hearts, so that you can restore those relationships in Christ. This is the kind of forgiveness that reigns among believers. I know it's easy to say that from here, from the pulpit, but I'm telling you, I'm willing to start to practice this kind of forgiveness. And please keep me accountable because as I said, James 3.1 is quite frightening. Dear brothers and sisters, we have a gospel of grace. Not a gospel of works, but of grace. Making someone soak in guilt, making someone to have shame, or making someone to work hard enough to gain our forgiveness displays a gospel of works. And let me tell you something. You did not earn God's forgiveness. Your works didn't gain your salvation. But the magnificent gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the offender is still with his fist in the air, defying God, and he's with tenderness changing your heart and giving complete forgiveness. That's the gospel that saved you. That's the gospel that saved me. The way we forgive shows the kind of gospel we believe. When we restore relationships between two with enmity, when we exercise biblical forgiveness, is when we are more like Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ is famous for his heart of love and his gospel of grace and his forgiveness. As you live today, imitate Christ. Let's pray. And Father, give us the strength to know that this is the way we receive forgiveness. And that if we can sing and if we can worship you, it's because you restore the relationship. That relationship that we broke when we went against you. Father, you restore that in the cross of Christ. Help us to refresh others' hearts. Give us the understanding of biblical forgiveness and help us to be famous in our forgiveness as you are famous in your forgiveness to the world. And we pray these things this morning in the name of our Savior and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Moises. Well, if you uh, will join us whatever way you're most comfortable, let's uh, tune our hearts and respond uh, to that. So much of uh, 